back from New Orleans. Are you still recovering a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking today, like, if I went to lunch after my meeting, would I have a drink or not? Yeah. And I was, like, on the fence. I just, so our guest today is is Brian Unger. Yeah. uh, One of our good friends. Um, And he came over for the podcast. I'm like, did you eat? He's like, no. I'm like, let's go eat. So we went into this place called Stout Mm -hmm. here in in Studio City and had a, a beer and a chicken burger. And it was just funny. He's like, let's get a beer. I'm like... Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I told Jessica. I was like, well, if what would happen is if we went somewhere with lunch that had a glass of wine, I would be convinced. But, oh, sure. But like a day ago, I would have told you I'm not drinking for two weeks. Let's talk about Tales for a second before we bring in and, and Brian here. So we were in New Orleans mm-hmm. for Tales of the Cocktail. Correct. Which, uh, and someone asked me like, what was the point of Tales of the Cocktail? I don't think you explained it well. I think I explained it fantastically. Here's say, my, as I'm yawning, sorry. Here's my, <laughs> oh, sorry. Here's my explanation is mm-hmm. it's all of the brands connecting with uh, bartenders. Yeah, uh, but in order. Ba- bar owners, bartenders, um, influencers, like people, like people behind the bar. And then it was it was every brand that basically wanted to touch you know those people so they could make contacts connections with those and just have people appreciate their brand. I mean, what was it? It was a collection of like a showcase for okay. all the alcohol brands. Okay, it's like the biggest in the world. Okay, I mean, people come from everywhere, from all over the world for this. So there's a brand called Absolute Elix, correct? And they have the Elix House every year, mm-hmm. and and it's one of our favorite places to go because. They have several bars making amazing drinks mm-hmm. um, in these copper cups that you can buy if you want for like 200 bucks. Yeah. Um, and then they have whether well, this this year was like s- several sort of houses in the in the French Quarter around a pool. And each each house has like something to do in it. It's almost mm-hmm. like a different theme. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I think the point of that was for Elix to basically thank the bartenders that pour their stuff. I mean, like mm-hmm. the, these are people all at that at, at tells the cocktail that make menus. And so they can choose to put a, a vodka, a whiskey, a rum, everything that was down there to choose to put your brand on their menu or not. Mm-hmm. So why not have them come down, give them some free booze, have them meet the, the people who are involved in sort of, mm-hmm. you know, so, and, and so there were like, how many events, how many events per? There was like four days, right? And and how many events per day? Maybe like an impossible amount to go to. Probably like twenty. No, definitely more. 20, because you had 21. the ones that were <laughs> yeah, yeah. twenty one. Yeah, thanks. No, because there are the ones that were like just happening mm-hmm. in the hotels. Oh, that's and right. Stuff. That's right. And then there there were all the events happening outside of the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. So if you add those together, there's and, probably f- and by the way, when you say when you say events, most of the time it's just. Come here and try our amazing drinks. Like Aperol had a house. Call them like experiences. Okay, sure. Because it's not just like, hey, come have a drink. Sure. It's like there's just things going on. Yeah. You know, like sit down, get some air conditioning. There's (laughs) brand reps there. There's, you know, three to five different bars and different levels of different locations. Yeah. There's some sort of activity. There's gifts, you know. Yeah. It's like an experience. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and and it was it rained torrentially. I think every single day. Not the first. Two Not the days. first two days. Yeah. Uh, and then the rest it, it made up for that. Um, rain like just the the heavens parting and, and just like dumped down. Insane. Insane. Crazy rain. But it was amazing. Uh, which delayed our our flight out. So we went we went down with Drink TV and sort of I, I guess I didn't mention one of the things I was doing was uh, was that Drink TV. 
um, had me go down and shoot my show Nightcap, mm -hmm. which has not premiered yet, but shoot four episodes. Uh, so we went to French 75 um, and sat down with a good friend, Mike Falgu, mm -hmm. uh, to talk about, you know, New Orleans and drinking and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, the next day was at the Black Penny, mm -hmm. sort of a, you call that a dive? Yeah. Yeah, it was a dive. Definitely. And my guest was, speaking of dives, my guest was, <laughs> was you. Uh, and also, uh, and, and Gio behind the bar. Gio, one of our producers and camera guys from Drinking Made Easy. Did he get to talk much? I don't remember. He talked, he talked enough. Okay. And by the way, the other guest on that episode was your sister. Kind your twin of, sister yeah. was amazing. Oh, well, she, oh, she, she made her presence. Well, you roped her into this. I sure, I sure did. I sure did. Uh, the next day we were at Port Orleans Brewing with uh zach streif who is a mountain of a man uh and he he's his story is just amazing uh and then the last day we were at uh pat o'brien's yeah with our good friends uh aaron wall uh one of the best bartenders in the world mm -hmm. um also a mountain of a man and and josh wagner who we love dearly and so um it's just like hanging out at these bars and getting to know these amazing people and it was just it was just a great experience so i'm 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 happy that we got to do it um glad we get to to see all of our all of our friends mm -hmm. have have katie your friend katie and your sister jazz come down so uh it was good let's uh let's go to our interview with well i say our but it's just me uh <laughs> talking this is just me talking to my buddy brian we'll be back in a moment with more zane's world Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! True crime fans, pay attention. The Court Junkie podcast is now on Podcast One. Imagine being wrongfully convicted for a crime you didn't commit or a killer still on the loose even though there's enough evidence for an arrest. The Court Junkie podcast shines a light on the injustices of the judicial system with deep dives into court documents and interviews those closest to the case. Download new episodes of The Court Junkie podcast every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Like what you hear? Tell your friends and leave a rating and review. Welcome back to Zane's World. Yeah, thanks, Pumpkin. Aww. So uh, I'm sitting here with, with Brian Unger, my very good friend. And I have to sort of lay out there uh, before I list all of your, your accolades and credits that we, we sat here and talked for like an hour and then we went and had lunch for an hour. Yeah. So like, I'm pretty talk I'm pretty talked out. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. What, what, <laughs> what else there, is there to say besides to say? what yeah. we just said? <laughs> so you would probably know Brian from his plethora of projects. Well, you don't get to be the age that Brian's at. And still be in the business and not have a plethora of credits. So those credits would be uh, how the states got their shapes, uh, <laughs> the lawyer on Always Sunny in Philadelphia, correct? Uh, me, myself, and Irene. Yes. Uh, countless gigs on Travel Channel. Which, by the way, if I made you list the number, you probably would be off. Uh, there are so many. Uh, if you count all the pilots, yeah, that's what I'm talking it's about. It's like. It's a dizzying array or plethora, as you say, of yeah. just like rejection after rejection. <laughs> it's no, not for us, Brian. It's, not it's just yeah, but, not for yeah, us. But Good they, show, not for us. No, I like him. I like the show. Who else you got? Can you get David Spade to do this? <laughs> oh, God damn. 
It's horrible. That's horrible. <laughs> so now, by the way, if you were to even go on the on the Travel Channel, you'd not need to drop all the vowels from your name, as Travel Channel did, and you would need to be uh, paranormal. You couldn't even be. You needed to be the ethereal version of yourself. I was just thinking this morning mm-hmm. that cable television has made such a deep and rich investment in paranormal and ghosts and myth yeah. that it recognizes that it can't really make money any other way but to just scare the bejesus out of all of Americans and have them believe in something that doesn't exist. So therefore, my rejection or my... Oh, here uh, oh, this is you justifying your rejection? Well, I was saying that how can I be upset about something that doesn't exist? <laughs> well, by the way, the Travel Channel does not exist. It doesn't. It's and the, none of these channels it's the really do. It's the Turvel. It's Turvel. T-R-V-L. Uh, but if you look at all these cable venues like History and Discovery and Turvel and some of they're all basically doubling down on this idea, perpetuating Area 51 myths mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. ghost hunters. And it's like... It's like we're sort of spoon-feeding fear and paranormal, and it's sort of like it fits the era we're in. Mm -hmm. I think it's like we're in an era where conspiracy and myth and fake news and all this crap is now sort of mainstream. And and it's being perpetuated by channels that used to invest in real things like science, travel, like real, like geographies and history. Let's talk about science for a second. Uh, so like Nat Geo, yeah. So as I list all the shows that you've been on at the last of that list, and just just in order of importance, you <laughs> and I, you and I created magic. <laughs> created there. magic. This was this was the the time. This is when you and I met on the set as co-hosts on the set of Showdown of the Unwatch Unratables, Unratable, un- Unbeatables, and <laughs> 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 the Showdown of the Easily Beatables. As per the ratings uh, on Nat Geo. So, listen, how how would you explain that show? I've never... You know what? Like many shows that get canceled, and I know this sounds self-justifying or self-satisfying, it's an actual show that should be on the air today, but was so colossal, colossally screwed up by those who were making it at yeah. the time. And not even at the time making it in real time, but in post-production, I thought it was kind of mangled. And you and I were sort of living a surreal sort it's, of post-production it, it, life. It's when kind we- of weird when you have to go in there and ADR, which is for people, it's additional dialogue replacement, basically saying something you didn't say in the moment or trying to lip sync something that you said to make it match. I mean, that kind of stuff's I wish you and I had been more um, argumentative. No, like we in those ADR sessions would have just been like recording ourselves doing it because we were like going, oh, no. And there he goes again. And gosh, gar- oh, hey, yeah. Zane. Yeah. Like it was so staged and stupid and inauthentic. Yeah. Where a show about that's, real. By the way, that's a good point. That's, that, that's exactly what it is. It was it was a show that could have been fantastic. Oh, my God. It's like about much, tech people, yeah. two warring technologies to yep. see which one's better. What give, could be a better show for right an, now? Give me an example of your favorite, and I will tell you. I will correct you. You mean you. as in like the most absurd that we tried to do that was the dumbest dumb we, that, that we tried to make we gonna like say chicken same, salad out of chicken shit? Are we going to say shit? the same one? <laughs> uh, there. Come on, if you know, as soon as I say it, you're going to know that I'm right. Well, there, I mean, a lot of them fell flat. T-shirt cannon. T-shirt cannon. <laughs> they, so they were taking warring technology. So a great one, I think one of the first ones we shot out in a quarry, 
Uh, I had the the Brown Safe Company, which is a big, impressive, huge safe. You need a I don't even know how you get it into your house, but you keep your guns and your valuables. A very un- unbreakable safe. And then yours was this pneumatic hammer on the end of a of a like a what do you call those steam shovel kind of a thing? But that sounds like I'm reading an old children's book. Like on a like. I don't. I don't even remember what you, I your, had. Yours was like I, a, yours was a giant jackhammer mounted on the end of a of a machine. Okay, like 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 a like a giant ditch digger shovel, and your and instead it was a, it was a massive uh, 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 jackhammer. And the, and for people who don't understand the show, yeah. is that my jackhammer was supposed to get into your safe. Yeah, and if it succeeded, then I won. Yeah, exactly. And if you prevented me from doing that, yeah. you won. But by the way, by the way, there was no prevention on my part. You and I were both passive, which I thought was another issue with with the show. And we sat back and just watched these guys, you know, sort of go at it. And if like in thirty seconds they, he was able to retrieve an envelope from the safe or whatever it was, then then he would win. It's it's, it's that was very clear. Right, so that was like okay, you know what? That that actually makes a lot of sense. You have this thing; it's un- yours is unbreak- un- unbreakable. Yours breaks everything, so great. One of the worst ones I thought was when they had the t-shirt cannon, t-shirt cannon. The, t- they, the guy came with a t-shirt cannon. That's how I talked. And then, <laughs> and then the other one was an unbreakable wire. What was the one where you and I were in like a metal shop all day and there was a drill? It was like the, the world's See, toughest drill. I don't even remember. And it was like. I guess I blocked it out of my mind. And I just remember like the whole segment built to oh. a moment where a drill oh was drilling into now something. Now I remember. It was, it was so, just so dumb. It was so boring. Yeah. Even being there and trying to talk with those people because it was like uh, you were it was like a metal that you couldn't break with a drill that could drill through anything. And at the end of the day, you're like, it either can or can't do it, right? Yeah. And the build up is an entire show or something, right? Is it one thing per show or maybe three <laughs> or whatever? But like, but at least you need to fill twelve minutes of like, okay, either the drill can drill through it or it can't. It was like it was cobalt. Yeah. So in the old days, when you did a show like this and it turned out to be a big turd. You could, you could forget about it. Yeah. And you, and you could just say, Oh, yeah, I did that. And there are many shows in my past where I participated in something that was just so stupid and ungodly awful mm-hmm. that I was like, I don't even, I barely remember it. In, in 2019, I now get daily from LinkedIn an email from the executive producer of that show that you and I did say, Do you know Nat? Do you know this guy? Yeah. He wants to join your network. So every morning, I'm reminded, reminded of that of turkey that we so did. So amazing. And so I, I, I'm going to like join the guy's network on LinkedIn just so he will stop harassing me. I'm <laughs> <laughs> be reminded of that. That thing was – I remember the budget on that show. They, they, they were trying to come in and, and take the, the niche that I think Mythbusters was maybe vacating at the time or whatever it was. <laughs> But and they were spending an exorbitant amount of money. I was paid well. I assume we were paid the same. Who knows? Yeah, probably. Uh, and the uh, couple hundred thousand per. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> seventy five dollars. Um, and we each had our own trailer, which was an RV. RV. The yeah. ones that you can rent from RV America that have like a dog on the side, you know, whatever. <laughs> Like, it's really in the window. Uh, and the craft services was amazing. And we shot, which is the really golden piece of this is that we shot in the winter, which meant mm. it was it was almost entirely outside except for maybe one or two. That meant that, meant that you couldn't be there before the sun came up, and when the sun was down, you were done shooting. If Imagine if we shot in the summer. 
our call times would have been like 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. and we would have been sent home at 9. Mm-hmm. I remember being in Santa Clarita and the mountains up there. Mm-hmm. We used that. We actually shot at Hanson Dam where I ended up moving years later yeah. to, to, in that area, which I, I remember the one. We did one with like a paintball gun, and the paintball gun was supposed to beat an archer, a Native American guy who was a World War II veteran with a slingshot. With a slingshot, slingshot, yeah. Paintball gun versus Versus slingshot. slingshot. On this episode of Of Showdown Showdown of the Unbeatables, and so uh, I just remember that the paintball guy was uh, really nerdy, and he had you know that's his life Mm -hmm. was paintball. Mm Guns, Dude, and then he had a buddy with he'll him. He'll mess you up. He did. And remember, you know, said exactly. uh, they were. So, you ba- see, how do you two know each other? We were not rolling, and we were sort of. And oh wait, wait. Let's explain this before you say that because that's amazing. So here's what happens: like it's the person's there, and there's always like a second person or a third person there, so they can play off of. So like they, a buddy, like a buddy. So yeah. like or a, buddy. or a wife, or like the guy with the remote control car. His dad was there. Mm-hmm. So this guy was was nerdalicious. To the to the nth degree, and if I'm if I'm remembering it correctly, it was because the the his buddy happened to look identical to him, and we're just like, wow, that's crazy. They became friends because they look alike. But what was the real story? Well, the story was he didn't have any friends. Yeah. If if I'm yeah, if I'm no, you're, not, you're, no, you're okay. right. And then uh, you said in between takes, like, hey, man, like. Who's your buddy? Like, yeah. how do you guys know each other? And he goes, nah. and the friend goes, nah, I don't know, man. They just cast me in this. I, yeah. mean, I don't even know the guy. Yeah. So <laughs> and it's amazing. Like, that's so your sad. National Geographic channel. Yeah. That, 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 that has got like a rich pedigree in journalism and fact. Right. And here we were making a show where it's like, you know, I don't even know this fucker. Cast like, buddy. Yeah, whatever. So when that thing went and we watched the, the, the premiere together and then the episodes continued to roll out, we shot six or eight or whatever. And, and then we got the call that it just wasn't going to get picked up for another. But then I remember that the, the, an, another message or something that came in from the, the, the head of the company that the show was a, a a stunning success in Germany. Yeah. And I was like, are we going to get to make it for Germany? He's like, no, they'll probably just find some Germans to make it. Yes, that's right. Um, which now would be like a harbinger of great success because everything is being sort of engineered for international audiences. Yeah. So yeah. like if you'd said you're a hit in Germany, they would have said, oh, let's go do another season because by then it will infect all of Europe, Italy, and then to Great Britain and Scotland and beyond. It'll be huge. What year would you say that we shot that? 12 or no, uh, no. Would you say it was like six years ago. Oh, I say it would have been when we were shooting like chug. So it'd been like, yeah, like four, four, 14 or 14, yeah, maybe? Yeah, 14. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, now when you look at the ratings, here's the thing. When you look at the ratings of these shows in, in context, yeah. at the time, it, it didn't really it, – I think it did a point two rating, okay. which is – but now shows are doing point one ratings, right. and they're considered successes. Because of the – Diminished audiences. Yeah, so, yeah. like, you know, these are dwindling cable audiences, and – that's why you see so many reboots right now. It's because we basically all run out of ideas. We might as well give shows a second try. And in, in fact, if Nat Geo were smart, they'd resuscitate that show and do it again. You know, with us, you know, the, no, they'll pick 
younger, hotter dudes to do it. <laughs> <laughs> younger and hotter than us? I don't yeah, understand. No, that's the, possible. The, uh, the amazing thing is if, if, if that show went as long as Mythbusters, you and I would be in the middle of it. We'd still be in the middle of our run. Isn't that yeah, amazing? I know. Amazing. I know. Story of my life. It was fun. And it was, and I have to say, it was probably just coming from a lot of, uh, travel shows and also you coming from you did a bunch of travel as well like this was just the easiest gig you could possibly yeah, want. shot locally you and i were essentially just sitting in an rv all hanging day out. hanging yeah. out eating yeah. get called out do our shots if they wanted to make that show succeed they should have sent us to each of those places and yeah. let us be with those folks right. who engineered these things and then we would days. have been the ones and then we would have been invested and we would have been working alongside yeah. them instead yeah. of hosting the way we did yeah it just didn't that's what I would have done. I would have had you and I controlling the technology, which would just been. But you know what right? happened, uh, Zane? No one at so, any time during that show turned to me and said, "Hey, Brian, what do you think we should do?" <laughs> that didn't stop me from giving my opinion. So this is a story that I found interesting, and when people learn the story of like Burt Kreischer, who is a comedian who uh, now is on Netflix specials and stuff like that, and he's he's doing fantastic, and he was the the inspiration for the movie Van Wilder. Like there was actually an article written in Rolling Stone. Oliver Stone saw it, uh, saw the article, commissioned it, had a movie written, and then decided he wasn't going to make it. And then they, and the guy who wrote it basically just changed the name to Van Wilder and then went and did it. And then Bert had nothing to do with it. I think that that's an interest. Yours is, is just as interesting to me, if not more, if I, hopefully I'm not teeing it up too high, but like you were on the daily show as a correspondent and you were asked to sit in the chair. Yeah. And yep. and, and how yep. much little decisions that other people make affect the trajectory of your entire life. So can you like just start like what was the first day on 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 the Daily Show? Like what was your first thing that you did? The first thing I did, yeah. it's funny, uh, this week, The Hollywood Reporter aired mm. or aired, published uh, a review of the very first episode of The Daily Show. Were you th on the first episode? I was on the very wow. first episode. And uh, I did a segment called Princess Kitty. With with Craig Kilborn? With Craig Kilborn okay. as anchor. And I was the correspondent, like their chief national correspondent. And I did a story that was kind of like a, uh, my ambition was to pull off kind of a perfect 60 minutes Parody, right? Where uh, a woman who had lost her cat in an alley fight um, became so obsessed with the death of her cat that she started to dress up like her cat, okay, and do like presentations at public schools. And then the city of Miami named a certain day on the calendar Princess Kitty Day, okay. So I treated it as if it were sort of like an abducted child or a, a murder of 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 a, just like more serious, just than a it very was. very serious thing. Yeah. And and so we we did this really funny, straight faced sort of like parody of a 60 minutes piece and how this cat has been immortalized. And then the woman is basically who owned the cat is telling the story to me. And then without any warning for the viewer, it just cuts to her in the same chair, dressed up like a cat <laughs> talking about the cat. Yes. And it's just a very simple little edit. And then I went to the alley and I did this stand up where I'm walking to the camera and I'm saying like, you know, it was here on a dark, rainy night that this cat met its end. And, you know, it's just kind of like 
but <laughs> that that was the very first episode uh-huh. of that, and 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 and. Never along, but, but that set the tone. It kind of set the tone, and I had been coming out of CBS News, so I had like a whole agenda of items that I wanted to pursue. But to, to make you mean to make fun of, to make fun of, it was catharsis. Yeah. It was a whole bunch of things for me. But never once did we feel like we were conscious that we had captured lightning in a bottle. We right. were just kind of doing our knitting, and we were just basically we we. This was sort of. The internet was just taking off, so we didn't have the exposure that a lot of shows do uh-huh. now, and the spotlight wasn't on us in a way where we were being reminded of it every day. That like, oh my God, what are these guys doing over there at the Daily Show? This is hilarious. It just was a really, to sound cliche, organic birth of a show that sort of gradually caught its own wind and be- and gathered momentum and was, you know, uh, just... Purely based on on just the fact that Doug Herzog, the president of the network at the time, had the the courage to leave it on the air, mm-hmm. and and so that would have been like what year? Nineteen ninety six. Really? Uh huh. Wow. I know. And how many? Good, Long time ago. Good, good heavens, man! <laughs> and uh, how many? I'm, how uh, many years were you there for? I was there from nineteen ninety six to two. I left in 2000, I think, okay. or 1999, okay. maybe, something like that. And that's when... John Kil- came in. So Kilborn was leaving. Uh, Kil- see, Kilborn, we all left at the same time, but for different reasons. But Kilborn announced that he was going to get a late night show at CBS. Uh, and, he, and he did for and a he did. brief time. And so we were all sort of rocked by that because we felt like we were just achieving like critical mass on the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Craig announced he was leaving. And at that point, we were sort of in like, as, as, as naive as this sounds, we were kind of untouched by the machine, the showbiz machine. Yeah. We never really felt, I don't think any of us really felt like we were special. Like stars, yeah. And And the only person who had, I mean, our executive producers were seasoned. Our executive producer had come from Letterman. Liz Winstead had been working with Jon Stewart on his talk show. But 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 there wasn't this feeling of like show busyness on our show. So when Craig got the gig at CBS, it was kind of like, shit, success has crept in, and like someone noticed we were on the air, and Craig's like flying the coop, and that's kind of a bummer. It's going to yeah. stop us and change us. Yeah. So now what? And I didn't really. I always thought up until that point in television. You basically just work on a show for a couple of years and you move on. That's mm-hmm. kind of standard. I mean, it's very rare. It's standard. That somebody, it's unfortunate, but it's standard. Yeah. yeah. You don't you don't stick around yeah. for a long time. So I, I never really saw it as a place that I was going to be forever. So I don't know. I like when I saw that Craig was leaving, I had suddenly like a real burst of ambition. Okay. And I was like, well, shit, I filled in for Craig several times and I'm and, a correspondent. And, 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 host, so and hosted the show. I'd hosted it. Okay. So I was like... I was like, you know, I I, I kind of want to, I I'd like I'd like the job, yeah. And I feel very connected to this show, yeah. And that like it feels like something that's very personal. And you you more than anyone anyone knew how to keep the tone of it and keep it like. Yeah, I guess. I mean, at the time, you do feel a sense of ownership of the show's yeah. soul, <laughs> you know, and you feel like okay, I can maintain its integrity and direction, yeah. and I can also grow it. Right. Sure. I mean, I had like. I had a real sort of 
like burst of ambition. The cat. Disagrees. I mean, you anyway. must have had so many in MySpace. This is was this before MySpace. This was. Did I have in was the, no. MySpace a thing then? No. No, it wasn't. Was it? <laughs> like we didn't. I remember. You were huge. I shared on, you were an huge office. on Friendster. I shared an office with A. Whitney Brown, and I remember turning around once in my desk, like just spun around in my chair, and I looked at Whitney, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "I'm building a website." And I'm like, "What is that? What is that? What 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 is that gonna? You see, I'm gonna put all my pieces on here, and huh? people can click on it no, and watch it. That's not gonna be a thing." And I thought. You're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And look what happened to him. And now look at us. I mean, it's not like it, it's not like well, thing, no, it's I, not like it was a hundred years ago. <laughs> That's the thing. Like all this shit no, just no, happened, but it was a millennium ago. So was it? It was in a different one. It's not even like I mean, all this stuff different? just went the way of the dodo bird so quickly that it's like I don't know. But you were so. But they. They gave you the nod. They called you up. Yeah, they gave me the nod. Who, who, I mean, who my did boss that? Gave me the, my, my boss gave me the nod. I mean, he pretty much said to me the job was mine. He didn't just say the job is yours, but he said, I remember I remember getting the call from him, and he said, uh, are you my guy? Uh-oh. And I said- That feels loaded, you know, like, like yes. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It's is that like, kind of like, now it's like, I own you, and yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got this call, and it was, I remember I had published a piece in the New York Times. I had written a piece making fun of uh, Wolf Blitzer for something. I think it was around the time of the, ah, I don't even remember, but I did make fun of Wolf Blitzer, and they published it on the op-ed page. And I was, I was like, oh, cool, man. I'm in the New York Times yeah. today. Yeah. And uh, I got a phone call from my boss, and uh, he said, uh, I just read your New York Times piece. That's exactly what we need to be doing. Ah. And I said, Oh, thanks. And he's like, Yeah, that's just, just, uh, and you know, the job is, is this chair is open and I just need to know, are you my guy? And I said, I'm your guy. Okay. And I was like, I think, cool. I think you said the right thing. And I just, I remember flipping my phone closed. Yeah, your StarTech. And I uh, Motorola. <laughs> and I, yeah, it was a StarTech or Motorola. Maybe it's the same thing. Same I don't know. Thing, yeah. <laughs> I'm it not just, sure. But it had a punctuation to phone calls. because It, it sure did. You know what I mean? It sure did. You crushed that call. And click. I click. Mm-hmm. And I remember going like, holy crap. Like, I just, um, I got the job. Yeah. And I was really like self-satisfied and excited. And then which I is, remember. Which is okay. And I went back to work like that Monday because it was on a weekend. And I had this secret, and I didn't mm-hmm. say to anyone. Yeah. And I had a sense of like euphoria. Yeah. And the euphoria sort of gave way to this sort of like impatience because like a week went by. Yeah. And then another week went by. Oh, okay. And my agent, I would call my agent, and he would say like, "Don't worry about it. It'll all work out the way it's supposed to work out. And uh. just just hold on and just just sit tight and." I guess at the time, I I did not know. <laughs> I'm so stupid at the time. But I didn't know that my agent also represented John Stewart. So wow. at the end of the second week, when Stuart Bailey, my colleague, went running down the hall saying, there's a new anchor for The Daily Show, and it's John Stewart. That's when I got the news. And I called my agent, and I was like, hey, what happened? And he... In, in so many words, and I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's, again, this is not sour grapes. Shit happens for a reason. Yeah. It's I mean, just the way it I goes. Mean, but he pretty much said, like, listen, just, 
If you don't like it, go to another agency. It was kind of like paraphrasing what he said right, to right, me, right. but it was well, okay. expletive laden and it didn't feel good. Wow. And I, I felt wounded and I felt just wounded. Yeah. You know, um, just like any person who wants a job and you don't get it and you lose out to someone that you didn't even know was running for it and you just thought it was kind of a slam dunk. Yeah. So I did something hasty. I typed up a resignation letter and, and I quit, okay. which was probably regretful because I think in that moment I was like incredibly self-involved in that. But I was also young and I wanted it. And I think if I'd had any maturity under my belt, I would have like just sucked it up and said and fallen in line and helped to build to continue to build the franchise um, and be magnanimous. But when you're wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? I know. <laughs> if but, we could, but you know if what? We could always be that way. I mean, Sammy Glick is in is a is a internally great book for a reason. It explains the psychology of that, which is just this sort of when you're young and you just you know you you're you're just gunning for everything in life. That's my favorite Martin Short character. Oh, that's Jiminy Glick. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Different guy. We were talking but, about this at lunch uh, just as far as – and I asked you, I said, hey, when's the last time you went off on a hosting audition and you had to think about it for a while and it was basically like uh, two years ago, right? 1976. Yeah, I remember. I had uh, – there, there was a year where I was – I went and auditioned and got call back. And and by major networks, I think maybe maybe all of them, maybe CBS, uh, NBC, they were all doing these big hosted shows. And I got through to the very end. They loved me. I was feeling good about myself. You know, like we talked about this before. Like you bring that 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 competence into a room, and they like that. They like to see that this is somebody that maybe we should you know we should take a chance on. But in all of those situations, all four in one calendar year. I didn't get it. It was between me and another person I did, and I didn't get it. And the person that got it was a much, much more recognizable name. So one was Chris Catan. One was John, or is it John Hurley or John O'Hurley? Old Hurley he? John. Old Hurley he. Old Hurley. John Hurley? John Hurley? John Hurley? Elaine's boss in From Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah. John O'Hurley. John O'Hurley. Right? I think so. Sir Hurley Han? Joe Rogan and Ben Bailey from Cash Cab. Who was at the at his apex at that moment, and it was just it was amazing because the meetings I had were in these big, beautiful, um, you know, executive offices. And in one situation, it was me and Ben in the in the um, in the waiting room, both saying how much we loved each other's shows and stuff like that. The other people I did not meet, but I had found out it was between the two of us. And then you just wait, 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 and then you get the call, and it's like they went with the other guy. And it's just so amazing. Two things: one, I guess. None of those shows went. None of, the, none of those show, sh- those four shows went past one episode. Do you remember the name of the shows? I don't. Hmm. I mean, I'm sure I could look it up. I think they made the one with Ben Bailey because I may have seen that one. And he's back. They're doing Cash Cab again. Oh, great. So he'll be back on Bravo. All those all those projects. And again, like, bitter? I don't know. Like I, It was between me and like five other guys for the soup, right? Talk soup when they turned to the soup. When, yeah, um, I did that too. I did that for years. I did. Uh, you did I, it? I filled in for John Henson when he was at the soup. Yeah, so I filled was in right. for Bob Costas. I filled in for Keith Oberman. What was the last? I, I kind of, I had as a host, I was kind of like, and I make this comparison only Substitute for the, being a sub guy. Yeah. And certainly not qualitatively because Gary Shandling was so funny and 
But like Gary was always like a substitute host for stuff mm-hmm. for Carson for other things, and he, I mean, he obviously genius, right? But I started to feel like kind of like a journeyman that way. Like yeah. if you couldn't get someone, just get. Get Unger, he'll do an adequate job. It's <laughs> kind of how I thought. Just gonna, I thought no, of one, no one will be threatened. No one will lose their job. Bring in Unger. He's fine for he'll one day. He'll threaten nobody. He'll threaten no one. I mean, honestly, he won't do a great yeah. job and he won't <laughs> shit the bed. So Get adequate Unger. <laughs> Get him in here. And, and he'll keep the seat warm. <laughs> and I and I started to buy into that logic. I remember I filled in for Keith Oberman for like six weeks on Countdown with Keith Oberman. And I was in the cafeteria at MSNBC. You know, and they had a cafeteria. And I remember being so in line fancy. and Phil Griffin, who still is president of NBC News, maybe, or MSNBC. But he had the, like, is just right out of a scene out of a stupid comedy where, like, the boss is right next to you with his tray. Oh, you know, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, line and, yeah. and, and, and he's like, Oh, hey, 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 Brian, how are you? How you doing? I'm, I'm great. I'm, I'm enjoying all this. And he's like, Yeah, you know, you're doing a good job. You're, but you know, I, I kind of want, I want a little more from you. I want, I just need to feel like a little more. You know what I mean? And, you know, executives, when they're not satisfied, they always say things that are incredibly <clears throat> ambiguous, ambiguous, uh-huh. like, that yeah like i want a little more from you i remember i'd get notes do it different at comedy central uh i'd always get a note like just take another look at it and i, I was like uh, what do you mean like yeah. i took another look at it and yeah. it's still funny to me i'm I mean, still looking at it should I, do, I look at it again do you want me to look away and then take look back? a second look at it <laughs> yes. and then look away yeah and then look back at and then it look back take now a look third. at me look, look at me. down look, look it down look, look, over. It look at the floor look at the ceiling close your eyes Hi. open go no, go what, what do you think what are your thoughts uh how'd you do how you still do funny to me yeah still and you know and that's my point well done and then they walk away oh okay and he said he goes uh yeah i uh i just kind of like want a little more from you I was like, and and this is where should've where given, and this you, is you, why you should have given him a hug and and, and I thought <laughs> and and not let go for like a minute uh, a little more a little more okay I'm thinking L- little what? less little less but but like the thing is is like you're always auditioning for someone else's job and I never felt felt that way I always felt like if someone asked me to sit in or stand up or fill in my job really was just to keep the lights on. Like, I'm not gunning for the job. But my agent told me afterward when... By the way, a different agent? A different agent, yeah. but someone who's still an agent friend of mine, who's still... And I we talk all the time. But, I, but you mean after, not the asshole who, who didn't tell you? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, well, that's, that guy is a really prominent, successful, huge agent manager now. And, and to his credit, he's sticked out on an amazing business. And... The thing about that, by the way, I mean, the, by your, the way, your, your magnanimousness came 20 years too late. I know. Well, well, listen, I cop to a lot of mistakes that I made, which is just being too green for the business, to be honest with you at that time. Coming out of journalism, you don't think about show business. When you're in show business, you got to think that way. You need to think about it as like the, the it's a different business. And I was always sort of like thinking show business was a meritocracy when I started. Mm hmm. And that's not how it works. No, it's every, not every man for himself or, or just like star power sort of trumps everything. Yeah. And that like, you know, there's, it's just, that's a huge, huge, if not the driving factor is that everybody wants a star. 
Mm-hmm. Because it helps everybody sort of, it justifies everything. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, they say the two things pe- everyone asks when to, when you're going to see a movie is who's in it? Who's in it? What's, yeah. it, about, what's it about? That's right. It's always what's first. And that's why they choose these stars. And that, that, that's always that tough thing about when you move out here for the first time and you try to figure out like, oh, you want to get a job, get an agent. Well, I can't get an agent because I have no tape to show them. Oh, we just do it. It's like, and it's this catch 22. You can't have one without the other. And you, and so you have to figure out the riddle. And I think it's one of those things. It's like uh, pledging something or, or just like you have to figure it out before you can be let. It's like an escape room or something like where you have to figure out. Well, it's yes, of course that it's, you can't do this without the other and you can't have one, you can't get one without the other, but there's, 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 you have to figure out the way to get into the club. And, and, and by the way, like, you know, you've done a lot of amazing things. And, and I told you the first day that I met you, I probably didn't admit, admit it the first day, but I admitted it later. Like, I've always been a fan of your work and I, and I'm always a fan of the way that you present things in such an intel- intelligent or an articulate uh, an informed and, and friendly way, and I, and I think that it, that might just kind of go without saying that that's what a good host would do. But I always felt like you, more than other people, did such a great job at that. And like when you were being dry on the Daily Show, or even in in the shows that we were doing, anything like that, like you can, I think everyone can tell, or or maybe maybe they can't tell when when it's entirely dry. But I just I like when I can see that there's like an, a, a much more going on in there with much more of a sparkle of intelligence than what's actually coming out. And my phone just dinged because I'm correct. I know, it's crazy. Afri- uh, See? It's, and, you, and you are correct. What app is that? <laughs> that just keeps... It's, you're the correct It's like girl. an affirmation yes, of yes. like, your, yes, your opinion you is correct. Bing, bing. I wish you ran show business then. Um, what, going back to your original thesis is that the stuff that you and I did as... Because as, like host used to be a job. Mm-hmm. And there was um, there were these lines in show business that have eroded over time. One of them I remember was you can't work in comedy and work in news at the same time, which was a big, big, big challenge for me to go to the Daily Show after being at CBS News. Mm-hmm. Because if I left CBS News and quote unquote legit journalism and worked in comedy or entertainment, I'd never be able to go back to journalism again. And now that line has disappeared. Oh, sure. But that was a line. And you can see, and you can see mine was you can't be an an extra in the background of a movie and continue to not wear pants. And that was like one of those things they just said, you have to. Was that a, was that a line? They're just like, no, that's what they said to me. That's interesting. Choose. Um, and now, I don't and there are many of many of these lines have been erased. Another line was, "If you're an actor, you can't host a show." Right. Sure. There was a line sure. between host because there were hosting agents and there were acting agents. And then there's remember there's also the one where you can't uh, be an A list actor and do commercials. There's, that's that's correct. Yeah. Especially uh, in, in in America. Right. 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 And then you would travel abroad and you'd see these commercials with Brad Pitt and just yeah. everybody. But so, I, that, that's the whole loss in translation is made about that. Yeah. So, so I, and I don't know, uh, my, my, my opinion is that when the, the word branding, the notion of branding and marketing became like a, a phenom and like people were talking about like people as brands mm-hmm. and their name could actually sell stuff, anything. Mm-hmm. 
And then as the sort of social media juggernaut became bigger than anything that we'd ever seen technologically and started transforming culture and society, all the lines between acting and hosting disappeared. And now all of these actors are hosting shows mm -hmm. now. Because I, I remember my buddy Nick Gonzalez, who stars on uh, um, The Good Doctor. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first moved to L.A. in like the early 2000s, he's like – Man, they just offered me a hosting job, but I just can't do it. I just can't do it. It's going to like ruin my career. How long ago was that? This was in the early 2000s. Okay. And I thought, yeah, you can't, man. You're like a legit actor. Mm -hmm. You're on Resurrection Boulevard. You have these other successful shows that you've been doing. You just don't want to confuse the viewers. Mm -hmm. And not that he's hosting any shows now, but now it's like, Jamie Foxx is hosting a show on, on, he's an Academy Award winning actor yeah. who's like hosting a TV show called Shazam. Like the lines are gone and it's sort of like it, I think, emerged there, out of there's like, a new line though. And that line is what is that? It's when they are making a show. Uh, there's two. One is when they're making a show and then they say, okay, but who can we get to star in it? They're not saying like, oh, let's go out and fa find an amazing host. They need to find the biggest star. Oh, that yes, they would right. Like. Yeah. So that's one. The other one is, uh, they're not, they're not hiring hosts. They want real people doing real things. They want Ocu, ah, Ocu yes, series. That's correct. So it's like, I'll go in and pitch something, which is an amazing travel show and all this kind of stuff. And then they're just like, Oh, okay. No, but what else you got? And this is from a vehicle for me. And they're like, what else you got? Like, you got anything like, we, we found this guy who works at a zoo and he like cleans the lion cages and da da da. Like just things like that. They want to find a real person that they can build or a group. Or or a, a company, people doing things like those duck hunters or like Orange County choppers. That that's what people now want. Or actually, I think right now they're yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. They're looking for like basically train wrecks that they can make around real things like real estate companies. Now it's not even just about the real estate; it's about the realtors and getting to their personal relationships. So like to have a host go to have what you'd call a formatted show. Those are those are basically gone yeah i mean we're we're you and i as like hosts in terms of like what we used we're to fucking do dinosaurs pretty Brian. much dinosaurs. i mean it just doesn't it just doesn't exist yeah. anymore it's just not a, a thing yeah yep they gotta make a show about just being 47 and handsome because <laughs> <laughs> i because i am one of those you know what i mean um, I'll be fine. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, look, the, the, it, we're in a rapid evolution of, uh, of our business. It goes from like, you know, one year, this is the thing. And then the but, next year, it's a something else. But by the it's way, it's hard to keep up, to you, be honest. You I don't did know. a great, here's the thing. Like, you did a great job on states, right? So a lot of people know that show and became a fan of you, were comfortable with you and trusted you delivering that information. And, and that couldn't have hurt you getting, Always Sunny, like the role there. Were those related or were they around the same time? Well, I think, I mean, concurrent to, to our discussion yeah. was something else that occurred. Yeah. And, and another part of the business that evolved is that the uh -oh. distribution of uh -oh. what's going on. Well, two things. You're about, to, you're about to drop something heavy. And then this fox just walked in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not a creepy. <laughs> Hi, Mel. Hello. Hey, hey, Mel. Hey, Mel. Hi, Mel. Hi. We'll visit after. Good. Okay, guys, cut the chatter. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. 
you know, I had kind of like a foothold in, in the comedy world. And then I went and I did this like geography show for History Channel, which seemed completely weird to be like out in the country talking about now the, state lines. By the way, I've watched a lot of that show, a lot, many episodes. I'm trying to remember, like, this is a real question. Was it funny? It wasn't meant to be funny, but I found it to be funny while I was out there. So I just there were some approached like, it. Yeah, got but it. There were the same kind of approach. There were peculiar moments in it insofar as it portrayed Americans in a way where they gave state lines identity and then the lines gave them identity. It mm-hmm. was like a show, not to be too esoteric, it was heavy. really a show about how we are defined by where we live. Yeah. And... People are funny about allegiances to their 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 towns and their cities and states hey, and stuff. Hey, roll tide. I don't even know what that means. Roll tide. Is that Alabama. A place? Alabama. Right, Alabama. Yeah. yeah, we didn't go to Alabama. Yeah, for, I'm just saying, for, but like for, for but, obvious. But reasons. it's like it's it's but it's, it's but it's those things, right? It's like yeah, no, it's 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 people are fiercely loyal and geographically and connected geographically, and they get nostalgic about stuff, and it. I mean, if you ask anyone that's in a, L.A. That's a worldview, too, by the way. Right. If yeah. you ask anyone, you know, where they're from, they always say, you know, if you ask someone in Los Angeles where they're from, they'll say, oh, I'm from Mississippi or I'm from Ohio or yeah. New York. No one identifies with, like, L.A. because there are very few of us who are born here. Yeah. Um, there are people you, who are. You weren't. I wasn't. I love no, in L.A. Yeah. when you meet someone who's born here, you just like go, wow. Yeah. What was it like? Where are you from? Sherman Oaks. Yeah, you were actually it? from here? What did you do as a child? Why did you? What? Did oh, this? The, you br- you did breathe this air? Did they have hospitals yeah. <laughs> then when you were born here? It wasn't a desert? Well, but, he, here's a good transition. Because I have some questions for you about, and this is an actual question written on my page here, three pros and five cons to living in Los Angeles. Well, the first one that immediately pops in my mind. Is a pro? Is the, as a con. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I go right to the negative. That's why there's five. Yeah, that's And fine. I had just gotten done okay. telling you about okay. how I'm trying to be more positive. <laughs> I'm not going to let you. Here's what sucks about Here's what LA. sucks about here. What everyone's bitches about. Yeah. Um, and I was just thinking about this today. It would cost $13 billion to build an above-ground transit that mm-hmm. follows the 405 freeway that connects the valley to the mm-hmm. west side of LA. Yep. $13 billion. Okay. And we only have $6 billion available to us in our fund. So we have to find another way to raise $7 billion. Okay. And it's 13.8 miles of freeway that we have to figure out how to sort of like... Over- and by the way, it, it's, it's, I believe, the worst stretch of freeway, most congested road in the country. Oh, you, and one of the you top, better believe. And, and one of the top in the world. Uh, it is yeah. it is a a parking lot. It is an unmitigated nightmare mm-hmm. for any person getting on to drive thirteen miles and it take two and a half hours yep. is maddening and you know, just it just frays every nerve in you and it and it and and finally leadership in this town and this city, not to go on too long about this because I already have, um, is that they're recognizing that it is like having an effect on the economy. Nothing is getting done. Right. And there is an opportunity of cost, cost associated with traffic. Mm-hmm. What you're not getting done is money lost somewhere. So sure. yeah. there's an article in the LA Times today 
and it talks about this 13.8 mile stretch and the Sepulveda Pass and how all these neighborhoods don't want an above ground train and another neighborhood wants an up below ground train and someone wants like an above below ground train. And, you know, it's just like maddening all these little towns. And I was saying, I thought, well, how long, you know, that, that tunnel that connects France with England, yeah, the channel, right? So, you know how long the channel is? Like, guess how long the the okay, uh, I'll guess the channel is. Thirty miles. Good guess. It's Thanks. thirty. I think it's thirty-eight. I was going to say thirty-eight. Thirty-eight miles. Thirty-eight miles. Now, Sean, these guys, Sean, can you edit that and make me right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> our producer. So basically, we have uh, two European nations who constructed a tunnel that goes underwater mm-hmm. for 38 miles. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting here for how many consecutive years yeah. debating an above ground tra- uh, train, like a trolley, a bus, a something oh, that, hey, that hey, sits on a light rail right. that goes 13 miles. Gonna, it's not going to be a trolley. Okay. But there, uh, uh, there already is one that goes up to the Getty Center. That's they there. have one at Disney World, yeah. too. Like, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. just borrow that one take and you that, stick take, it on the 405. Take that trolley. And all our problems are solved. But we just can't get it done. And I think the failure of political leadership in L.A., and the the un, the inability to get anything done is my number one beef mm-hmm. with this place. Right. Okay. But you. But we could talk it's about a this long for hours. con. Well, here's the thing: like that whole thing started from the gas and tire lobbyists back in like the fifties. Yeah. When they were trying to build a mass transit system here, and they got lobbied against, which was basically like. Bought off people and oh, just General Motors money. is. I mean, here's here's an interesting bit of history for folks, and you can you can look this up. General Motors settled a gigantic federal lawsuit over dismantling the public transportation system of Los Angeles. They pled guilty to it and paid a gigantic fine mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. for paving over every rail car line in L.A. And that brings us to this moment, right? Which is basically stagnation and so, the inability to. But grow. every time, but it, but this is a is a city in a state built on people people's relationship with their cars. Yeah, and and these companies know how much money they make here. So starting with the lobbyists, then going to G, the General Motors, and all these companies are basically just trying to pave over or uh, just hold off as long as they can on this this mass transit so that's that's one for me i mean so getting thing done is one another con is is a is a different con con believe it or not is the traffic it's just it's unbearable it's on and it's it's such a it 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 it, it just everyone has every and everyone is talking about it. it's so cliche and it's so dumb right. but it is at some point it does cut into the quality of your life and you go like what am i doing yeah. i'm uh, this is time i'm never going to get back and then, <laughs> and like, I, i'm 17 miles from lax i told you the other day i fell asleep on the 405 <laughs> Yeah, but that's a different problem. I almost because, crashed into the Yeah, but that's something different, Brian. We got to talk about that. Uh, you're yeah. right. It is. It's those darn little <laughs> bottles of Tito's. All right. So, so traffic and getting right. things done. Cons. Item two would be traffic. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, what else? Um, uh, what do you think about the people in LA? Well, me removed. Besides you and Mel. Yeah. The people. It's too hard to, to generalize. We're, that's fine. 
I do think there is something to the well-worn. And again, it sounds cliche, but, you know, we are a collection of like 88 towns Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. We're not just one city, Los Angeles. And there's a different complexion for each one of those little towns. And it's divided along lines of like wealth and class and race. Mm -hmm. And so depending on where you live, you have a different Los Angeles experience. And your LA, where you live, is really, really different from mine. Mine is 68% Latino. Um, I don't have the same conveniences in stores and stuff and banks and all that stuff that you have here or access. But you also have horses. Yeah, I do. I live in a pastoral rural setting, but we're sort of redlined by a lot of companies and businesses and corporations mm-hmm. that don't really bother with where I live. They don't feel like Oh, is this is this the Postmates debate? Yes, is. Is, 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 is this is this all about Uber Eats? <laughs> How did you know where I was going <laughs> with this? This is basically my 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 prelude yeah. to I can't get a sandwich delivered. So to no, my you gig. you can. You just have to do the old-fashioned way where you like call up the Chinese restaurant or the Pizza place. Yeah, you see me coming a mile away, okay. don't you? Like all right. Kind of real, right? All right. Well, that's so. Let's so, so I don't like the fact that we all have different experiences sure. in LA, and that when and and when something bad happens in town, uh, you don't get a sense of community or people having a shared experience, and I think that's weird. Mm-hmm. I just do. I think that in other cities in America where you and I have been, I've traveled a lot in this country. There is more of a shared experience that brings communities together. And so we're not all fighting for L.A. We're all fighting for our neighborhoods. So like, you know, Brentwood fights for what's important to them. And then like Santa Monica does what's important for Santa Monica mm-hmm. uh, and et cetera mm-hmm. and so on and so on. So so there's not a big shared experience. And that hurts L.A. I think it hurts its identity. I think it feels like fractured and makes it feel like less of a world-class city that's just my opinion it is very disparate and spread out and that's that is that is something that i think is very unique to this city we don't we don't really revolve around the downtown i mean i guess we kind of do i guess i guess we kind of do but but a lot of it is sort of like it's just to, to get someplace and you could you could drive in this city like I was saying, I'm 17 miles from the airport. I'm in the same city of of, of Los Angeles, and it would take me um, uh, it's, it's taken me over two hours at times to get to the airport. Yeah, and that's just like so. It, and, and again, it's like people's relationship. I think people in LA are genuinely nice when you meet them, but add their car to the equation, and they're horrific. Well, sometimes they'll even fall asleep. I wonder why that bothers me that there is all of these disparate identities in one city. And I think it's because like, and people complain about this a lot is that you like living in LA, you feel very isolated. Yeah. You can feel very isolated and alone because we're in our cars driving a lot. And then like when you live in a community that doesn't have a shared experience with a neighboring community, you start to feel like you're not a part of something that's bigger than you. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people really get off on being isolated and alone, but they still at least feel they're a part of some, that they're orbiting some like city or something. And this is where it mattered. And it kind of, this is where it really, really felt like present for me was when like three years ago or two years ago, when we had the first really bad fires out here, 
you know, my my whole backyard was on fire, literally, and we were experiencing these horrible life and death moments mm-hmm. where, like, horses were dying inside their stables, burning alive, and the emotional, like, trauma that it was causing the people that were in my, where I live, and the destruction and losing their homes and their, it was horrible. It was, it, and in people to this day, and I, and I even know that folks up in Malibu have this too, is that there's a legit like post-traumatic stress disorder that sets a PTSD mm-hmm. associated with like almost losing your life mm-hmm. in any situation. But those fires in particular were sort of like something that was happening to LA in a real visible way. And I know from where you live, you could see the sky lit up orange yeah. at night yeah. and you could see those from fires my roof for sure. from your roof. Mm-hmm. Now I live, uh, 17 minutes from you. Mm -hmm. And when I would sort of, uh, we were in a mandatory evacuation zone and we ended up staying at our house because I didn't want to give up the ship, Mm -hmm. uh, which is something I wouldn't advise to most people. Mm -hmm. They should obey the rules and get out when the fire marshal standing in your driveway. But I stayed and I remember when I left, when they lifted the evacuation order and I finally had I emerged from my house that had had no electricity. We had no food. We were drinking out of bottled water for the week. We hadn't showered. And I drove into what would be this area, 17 minutes away for mm-hmm. the first time. No one knew, one, where I lived when I told them where I had come from. Mm-hmm. They acted as if I'd come from France. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I live in this area. It's called this. And it's only 17 minutes from you. And you, oh, I saw that smoke. People would say, oh, yeah, I saw that. That was you. That happened to you. And in any other city, people would be all joined together in sort of like a communal experience. Mm -hmm. But our geography out here is in a – I wonder sometimes if it's cultural geography or physical geography that separates us. I think it's both. But, I mean, one of the things that you – Not that I was looking for any empathy or – but I was looking for maybe just like a little like – A sense of community. Yeah, a sense of like, oh, shit, is there anything I can do? Yeah. Um, Oh, you're in that? I remember my – Don't get any of your dirt My manager called me and was like, are you okay? And it's like, no, we're on fire. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're we're actually like – Yeah, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to call you later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you don't have any auditions this week, so you're good. <laughs> but I don't know, man. It just like bugs me that like we 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 treat like in and I I know that in New York City, for instance, you know the tri-state area, you know New Jersey, and you know Connecticut, mm-hmm. you know Long Island very well, and you know upstate, downstate, and you know these communities. You know the counties in New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, I'm from Orange County. I'm from Bergen County. Uh, I'm from Hartsdale, Scarsdale. I'm from. And you go, oh, okay, you're from the Bronx, you're from Brooklyn. You, we had a sense of geography because there was more, there was less that separated us for some reason mm-hmm. as New Yorkers. Out here, it's like, I don't know. It's almost as if there's an invisible wall around each community. But, you know, the way that New York, as a great example, was designed to have these different areas and these parks and basically like a way to to get those communities to together so that you knew who you na- your neighbors were. LA LA just exploded and it is continuing to grow in a very 
it's a very selfish way, right? It's not like people are coming in and, and, and the cities are having architects come in and design the yeah, way. It's not the a planned community. It's not, it's not planned. Nothing it's is unplanned and random. Everything is yeah. random and unplanned and they don't account for having any parks because the land is so valuable that that's, that's, that's money sitting right, right there. So they would never have like this neighborhood here built around of a park and whatever. It's so everyone's just sort of every person for themselves. Uh, and, and, and I think, well, if if I didn't have a giant dog to walk around my neighborhood with, I wouldn't know anyone in my neighborhood. There'd just be no because everyone's sort of closed off and com- in your little compounds, your 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 hedgerows, whatever. And so there's really no like I wouldn't have a reason to like just go and walk around my neighborhood right now without a dog. That'd be just would be creepy. You know, that's an interesting point that you bring up, and I think that's why there are so many fiercely like dog loving folks in L.A. Is that because it's one of our connect, our big sure. connectors? I mean, how, I'm, how many I'm, people have you met from having your dog? I met my partner in a dog, in a, in a dog park. See, and uh, and like, and, I mean, uh, I it, that uh, and I, we've been together for twelve years, and it's all it sounds stupid, but like, I think the dog park out here is like where if you, if you, you meet. Didn't, if you didn't have a dog, you'd just be creepy. I'd I'd just be. <laughs> I'd probably be in, in, in my hometown just shaking my fist at the sky saying, why doesn't anyone care where I live? <laughs> I don't know. But, but it's one, but again, it's one, and it's one of those things when you're walking around with, with your dog and, and everyone's going to stop because if you don't at least acknowledge someone's dog, you're, you're out of your mind, you know? And so you go and you acknowledge, you talk, oh, and, and you see them a few times and like, I know every I know every dog in my neighborhood. I yeah, know all of their names. I don't know the people's names, but like but like I know who the people are and that that is your sense of community. It's 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 created around different different things, you know. Yeah. And I think people do yep. band together, but not I was going to say when in, in, in emergencies, but I just don't I, I don't know. I, I don't give I don't give LA a lot of credit for that. I don't either. And I I sometimes I hope the big one in terms of an earthquake doesn't happen mm-hmm. and cripples like the entire city because I don't think the city would react in a way. I wonder sometimes how it would come quote unquote come together because like if you were in New York City during 9/11, or if you were in places where there was a big giant disaster, uh, I remember being in 1974 when my entire town was destroyed by a tornado. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole community like showed up at the gym the- and was like collecting canned foods and clothes. And I wonder. I think this this town would probably hole up inside with a rifle. So I just I, stick I, I, and just I, like- I completely agree with you. I I think that those things like nine eleven, that tornado, and a lot of those things in in, in communities that uh, that are, are can at least identify themselves a little bit better than out here. They in 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 moments of of despair, they bind together with love. In L A, that it's. In moments of despair, it gets. It be, I think it turns into paranoia. Hopefully, we won't get to a situation where we find out. But like a lot of those things, like the riots and all these kind of things, like people would, like you said, they'd hold up in their in their houses. They'd they'd they you know they wouldn't like open the door, like those kind of things. But maybe the maybe the situations out here are different. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I I have a pretty pessimistic feel about here. <laughs> about obviously, <laughs> about it out here. I um, I, I think want, what I I do want to say something yeah. that I like about it. Okay. No, we'll, it, we'll, get, we'll get to, we'll get two pros. Go for it. Okay. My, my, my pro is I can't really attribute it to LA, but it is, I attribute it to California. Okay. And that there is no other place in America out of the 50 states that feels as 
entrepreneurial, innovative, and sort of energized in a way that California does. Sure. There's just something about being here that feels like, that feels like how, I don't know. I don't know if there's a feeling you can associate with the spirit of invention, mm -hmm. innovation, creativity, all those things mm -hmm. that the state that, that beckoned people to come here in the first place, they endure. Intellectual sunshine. Anyway. I think opportunity. It, yeah. Uh, like, you know, I think this state embodies in many, many ways the sort of core American values that define our country, which is like, if you work hard and if you just, there's a stick to itiveness, obviously, that it's involved, mm -hmm. but like, we, you can persevere and you can achieve great things here in this state. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons we struggle so much with what's happening in our world today with this administration and other things. It's like, the spine of this state is like a really hardworking Hispanic class of people who are trying really hard to become Americans and obtain wealth, get their kids in school, sort of enjoy the benefits of a system that, like, also that like rewards people for hard work. And, and we're very protective of that idea out here. Mm -hmm. And, and so when we hear that there are people like raids going around, rounding people up and deporting them and the talk of building walls and it contradicts the spirit of this place, mm -hmm. this, this state, because it's so, so damn expensive to live here, but yet people want to live here. And, and, and that's because I think the state is proud of its diversity. I, I, you know, it's not like, it's not as if there's, a, you know, there is shared power arrangements in all our political structures and institutions out here. And I think that that's different from a lot of states. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I do like that about our region and our state. So our community is just, it just happens to be the size of a state. I think we're like our own country. And each neighborhood we live in is like our own city. I call it's that, all kind of weird. I call that intellectual sunshine. <laughs> Zane, you're going to keep throwing that in until it works? Yes. Do you have yeah. a sound effect for that? You should. <laughs> I should. You really should. It just sounds oh, like... That's like, a dose of electric... Uh, uh, would you say intellectual it's, sunshine? It's I like it. intellectual sunshine. It sounds like Tinkerbell. Yeah. Uh, one more. One more pro. Oh, pro. Uh, I would have to say... Um, we're in a really great food moment that's happening. And the answer was me. Oh, so. well, that's obvious. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. But the, the culinary thing is is, is happening exciting. everywhere. But it, but it's but it's, it's cool here. It's happening. Yeah, there's doing some. There's yeah, some great and things. again, that is also grounded in like a really cool cultural sort of diversity. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we have that special. That special you, but you're person. talking about sushi food trucks in particular. I'm just talking about cheeseburgers. Yeah. yeah. How many different kinds you can get? Yeah. It is sure. amazing. Uh, in closing, uh, walking around the neighborhood yesterday, and there's a guy who has a labradoodle, and Mel and I were walking, and we stopped, and we talked about something. Somehow, he's like, oh, we said we just got, got back in town from New Orleans, and he's like, oh, what were you doing? Oh, we we're doing this drink thing and whatever, and he's like, oh, yeah, you're doing a show, like whatever, and I, he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I, I'd seen it or whatever, and then... Um, I was like, so, because uh, he was talking about it in such a way, like he had just done something. I said, are you in the industry? <laughs> and just trying to, you know, get a read because or, or he asked me and he's like, no, no, I just do some things for fun. And I'm like, oh, what do you, what do you do? It'd be an amazing 20 questions. But anyway, he is, he is the French fry guy. 
So he has basically created like all these different kinds of French fries for different restaurants or different companies and whatever. He creates new French fries. And Mel said, so like what, like, like 50? And he's like, like 550? That's so amazing. Wait a minute. That's what the guy has done. And I said, how, for how long? And he's like, since like, I don't know, this, the, the 80s maybe? That sounds like one of the most important jobs in America. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean. it's exactly right. And you don't think about how different, like when a restaurant has French fries, you're like, oh, these are good fries. You don't think like about the choices that they made and the kinds of potatoes and the thickness of the cut. And I think about that all the time. Yeah. I eat a French fry and I start breaking it down in a, in a moment of what makes this like I'm all about did, this one fry. Did I'm you do a, that at lunch today? Because I didn't see that happening. I was I was okay with those fries. I don't think they were worth remarking. Okay. Oh, I see. Liz Winstead has this. Place it's a where remarkable. She says, fry. Like uh, she goes, God, if they if if you could smoke French fries, that'd be the greatest thing oh, in the man. world. All right. I mean, all right. Because those are probably the two things that'll kill you <laughs> for sure. Like a fry diet. I was just thinking. Like, of, I was just cigarettes. thinking. Of, I was thinking of the pleasantness. Of but it. I, I just love that she had combined these two vices into one. Yeah, and just like light a French fry and smoke it. Done, <laughs> done deal. <laughs> I'm going to have you back again because there's a, a lot of things we didn't touch on. Uh, I think we did it. No, we touched it. No, and there, we no touched there, it again. No, there's more. And there's more. I think there's stuff. There's more stuff to take a look at. There's more stuff to take a look at. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Unger, thanks, buddy. Thanks, Ian. Make sure to stick around after this podcast to get the latest headlines from the AP News Minute. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Well, you're here. Might as well join us. Welcome to Zane's World. I always like having Brian. Brian is just, he's such a smart guy. He is very smart. And, and he and I, very sincere. Guy. He is very sincere. I was gonna say humble, mm-hmm. um, which he is, but yeah. since but sincere definitely. Like he doesn't he doesn't pretend to be anything that he's not. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he I don't think he either he doesn't know or doesn't does not acknowledge how uh talented and, and, and amazing he is. So um he's got some new projects coming up and when, when those things launch we'll have him in here to, to talk about them. In the meantime, mm-hmm. you you were recording your podcast today. I was. So your podcast on Podcast One yep. started today in that you started recording started it today. Recording, yeah. Uh, it comes out, you said, in the beginning of August? Second week of August. Second week of mm-hmm. August. And uh, your guests today were uh, Kendra Wilkinson mm-hmm. and... Heather Ray. Heather Ray. What do you guys talk about? You guys talk about me? Did I think, did you come up? Did you? Nope, you didn't come up. Dude, I didn't come up at all. Well, Seth, uh, Jess mentioned you like when we were like introing like how we know each other and all that kind of stuff. Oh, she mentioned you a I'll lot. See. Yeah. A lot. Well, like, you know, like how involved we are with them and their family. And oh, stuff. yeah. What is your podcast about? It's called The Hollywood Filter and it's about beauty and aging and like trends in Hollywood. Yeah. But kind of revealing like the truth behind it and also what's going on because Jess and I have 
talked about it so many times and found that so much of what you see is filtered, you know, yeah. whether it's physically filtered yeah. or, you know, or literally, literally a, a, yeah. a, any, any image that you see yeah. of a beautiful person on, on Instagram has probably mm-hmm. gone through some filters and not just the filters that are built onto the phone, by right. the way, no. like other things to smooth out their skin and, and whatever, or even just professionals doing yeah. it nowadays for them. Yeah. Um, so kind of that kind of a thing. I mean, obviously we're not hurting anybody's feelings or anything, but just letting it be known to people out there, like, Hey, you're not far off. Like, you know what I mean? Like Uh, we're doing these things and you can do them too. But you're sort of introducing. So in each episode, you're talking about a specific, yeah. And you're, as you're educating us on a specific, specific trend in Hollywood. Okay. So, but the, and the details of it too. I mean, I, yeah, I, I I saw you in your office preparing for it for many hours. Yeah. So, what were the two topics today? We talked about uh, microblading. Okay. And then celery juice. So, microblading is like rollerblading with very very small wheels. It's, exactly. Wait, the second one was celery juice. Yeah, I covered celery juice because. Oh my god. It's so in right now. Yeah. You know, like with as far as celebrities and stuff. Yeah. So it's like you look at this list of people like who swear by it. Sylvester Stallone. Like, who would have thought? That he like literally made a video. Yeah, you know, re- I, I drink a lot of celery Saying juice. It's it, really like, good. It's keeping him young and it's stuff. It's keeping me young. It's keeping me articulate. Okay. And so you brought some in to drink. I saw I you. I did, yeah. Wait, I want to say, well, I saw you bring some, but you had me make that. Yeah, I told you to make celery juice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were getting ready. Um, and then, uh, that's cool. And then so you'll like you'll tell us what you think about it. Because, by the way, I know like you ha- we have celery in the fridge. Mm-hmm. And I said, did you buy it because you want me to make you celery juice in the morning? Uh-huh. And you said, no, I want you to make it for our podcast. <laughs> so you're not actually taking it. So do you just do you not believe in it? Hmm. Here's the thing. Listen to the so, show. Well, I mean – so you and I, the problem is, is consistency. Yeah. And we travel too much to be consistent. But there have been times when uh, we've been drinking it every morning for like three weeks, yeah. right? And I do feel like that easily takes the place of coffee because we don't drink caffeine anyways mm-hmm. um, as something to have in the morning. And I do feel like it helps me with energy levels. Yeah. But the problem is, is like I'd like to test it for a long period of time, like two, three months to like be positive about how I feel about it. And either A, we travel and I can't juice on the road. Yeah. Or B, I can't get fucking celery because yeah. all the stores are out. Because they're out because it's such a exactly. trend. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that's the same. I, I I know that's how it is in LA. There, The last time I went to the supermarket, which was like a year ago, um, there was like all this celery and I bought a bunch. Mm-hmm. And now... You were telling me like you can walk in and it's completely Completely empty. gone. It's crazy. Right. And, and I, it's not just organic. It's like all of it. Yeah. I mean, I was reading, um, I can't think of their name, but like there's like one main supplier of celery in the United States. Oh my God. They do most of the growing in Oxnard and in Florida. Okay. We need to start um, a celery temperature. growing facility. <laughs> but like that person, it's like a fan that's been in the family for years yeah. or something that said that they were completely like taken aback from it, like weren't prepared kind of thing. Oh yeah. And how much money they make. Um, <laughs> because, by the way, the price is all – I think it's almost double. Yeah, I think it was – well, I think it was an average of like – oh, man, my numbers might be a little bit off. But I think the average was 230 a year ago, and now it's 379 Okay. That's that's almost double. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, will you guys come on this podcast to promote your podcast? Considering you're already on it. (laughs) All right. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you to Brian Unger as well. A big fan always of of Brian. Brian and his brain and the way he just makes sense about things. I'm Zane Lamprey. 
exactly makes sense. Thank you for listening to another episode of Zane's World. Join us next week and every week at Apple Podcasts and PodcastOne.com. New episodes are available every Thursday. Please tell your friends about the show and don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Nazanin Mandy and Nadia Moham. And it's time you got a relatable, unapologetic view on life with the Ladies Like Us podcast. We're going to give you a modern day woman's perspective on the issues that really matter. Anything goes with ladies like us. Get ready for plenty of laughter, open conversation, and amazing guests. We'll also be connecting with you, answering questions, giving advice, and helpful tips. Be sure to subscribe to Ladies Like Us right now on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. And it better be good. This year, use Yearly.com to file 1099, W-2, and 1095 forms for your business. Yearly e-files to the Fed, state, and mails recipient copies. It's free to get started. That's Yearly with an I.com. Y-E-A-R-L-I. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable.